Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. There's a restaurant in Pensacola called Taste of Jerusalem. Y'all ever been there? How many of you have ever been to Taste of Jerusalem? A few of you, right? So this is a Mediterranean um, place. You can get falafel and you can get gyros and you can get all kinds of kebabs and stuff like that. And I went there. I've heard, I heard about it, heard about it, heard about it. And finally I went there and I'm like, oh my goodness. And so I just kept going there. And then every chance I could get to tell somebody, man, this place was really good, I would tell them. Because that's just, I just like, when I find something good, I want people to know, hey, this is good. Um, if I watch a movie that's really good, I'm what? I'm going to say like, hey, y'all got to watch this movie, right? I mean, I, I just, it's just who I am. If I catch a, a good fish on a lure, I'm going to share the lure. I'm like, hey, you got to get this lure because this lure is the bomb, right? Some people are just naturally that, that hey, I want to pass on this good information kind of person. But everybody in this room is the kind of person who when you find something really good, you share it, right? I, I can prove it to you. Go to your Facebook. Just go look and how many times in the last month have you discovered something worth sharing and you've shared it? That, that meme that changes people's lives, right? No, just kidding. So, but that's just part of who we are. We got something good, we wanna share it. Here's what I want you to leave with today. We have found something good. We should try to make it our life's ambition to share it. We should make it our life's ambition to look for opportunities to share the good news. The word gospel literally means good news. We have found the good news. And if we need anything in today's world, we need good news. What is our good news? Our good news is that there was a God who sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The good news is that God so loved the world, right? And that good news is centered around a name. That name is Jesus. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. I want to share with you the rest of the story from last week. Now, if you remember, if you were here, if you watched online, last week we saw how... God doesn't just do one thing. He's always at work. He's always doing multiple works in people's lives all over the world. Think of this right now in China. There is a house full of people. Not just a house, but multiple houses full of people. And they are worshiping in a language that none of us know. And they are offering praise to God. They don't have sound systems and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you know this, but China has really begun to persecute believers in the last month. Uh, a great persecution under believers. The government has really cracked down. And um, so believers are, 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 are having to worship in, in, in smaller, more quiet places. But what it won't do is keep them from sharing the news. So God is at work right now in China with a group of people. God is right now at work in Guatemala 
There's a group of people. God is right now at work in the slums of India. He is at work all over. He always does multiple things at one time, which shouldn't be a surprise because after all, if God is the omni-God, right? Omnipotent, that means all-powerful. He's omniscient, which means he knows all things at all times. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at every time. It should not surprise us that God is at work in multiple places. Well, in Acts chapter 3, God was at work in multiple people all at one time. First, you have the lame man. Now, remembering that the lame man was lame since birth. He couldn't walk. His feet were all gnarled, and, 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 and they would have been pointed in and broken and weak. And, and this was a man who, for perhaps 20, 30, maybe even 40 years, on a daily basis, was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. He was set there by his friends, and this man would, would sit and just beg, I need food for today. He was in desperate situations. Then there were two men, James and, or excuse me, Peter and John, who were walking to the temple, and God was at work in them as well. God was at work in them, confirming the power that he had placed in them, but also he was at work in them, no doubt, reminding them of where they had come from. I, I, I wonder sometimes if Peter, when he was sometimes uh, uh, preaching or when he was doing kingdom work, if he didn't have this alternate conversation going on in the back of his mind. Because uh, Kevin has explained this before, that while he's leading worship, a lot of times he'll be having a, an alternate conversation with God, right? I do that while preaching all the time. As I'm speaking to you, God is speaking to me, and I'm like, wow, that's, I don't think, anyways, I don't want to go there. So, you don't want me to go there. Um, so, I wonder if Peter, as he is walking to the temple gate, if God is speaking to him or reminding him, do you remember the time when you, when you, uh, denied me three times, look at you now. You remember the time where you pulled out your sword and you cut off the ear? Look at you now. Do you remember the time where you said to Jesus, even if I'll fall away, do you remember? Well, look at you now. And so God was at work in Peter and John, but then God was also at work in the crowd. So you had a crowd of, of Jewish men who were going to the temple to offer a, worship, a, a sacrifice to God. They were there to worship now, we don't know the condition of their heart. Some of them were genuinely wanting to see God. Some of them were going there because it was a good business move. You know, some people go to church because it's good for business. Well, so they were going to the temple sometimes because it was good for business. If you're part of the community, that's what you did. But regardless, God was at work. So all of these parties involved had God working in their midst. And so what we had in, in the first part was the story or the, the, the setup, if you will, for the sermon. The setup was this lame man finds healing and now can walk. And we left last week with this man walking through the temple courts with Peter and John. And he was leaping and he was acting like a fool. He was most certainly undignified. Not church behavior by any stretch of the imagination. And as he was there, as he was acting undignified, the scripture says in verse 11, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. So in other words, this lame man who now walks was, was making such a commotion that people were running to them 
to, to find out what's going on. I mean, word started to spread. They came to him and they were astonished. Now that word astonished literally means astonished. Show me your astonished face. That was good. That was, that was, do that again. That was really good. Yes, yeah. <sighs> right? Astonished, like, <clears throat> right? They were astonished and they had this, this, this look of astonishment on them and they were wondering, how is this possible? You see, this layman was not a stranger to him. You got to remember, it wasn't like they had hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. It was a, it was a small, relatively by our standards, a small town. And the people that were there would have known who belongs and who doesn't. And because they'd gone to the temple multiple times, they would have seen this man over and over and over. And it is a strange thing to see a man who yesterday was begging and today is leaping. That's a strange thing. And Peter and John, because they understood their purpose... They stepped into the opportunity that God provided. What I'm asking of you, last week I asked you to do two things. I asked you to start seeing people and to ask yourself, what can I give them? Can I, can I share, Kelly, do you mind if I share a little bit of your story? Okay, so Kelly, and, and actually Mark shared a little bit of a story too this week. Kelly said that she was um, in her house and she looked out the window and she saw a, a, a lady walking down the street. We have a woman who's uh, up into her 80s or 90s who, who her grandson and her family walks her a couple times a day right, right over here on the sidewalk. If you live here, you've seen her multiple times. I always think to myself, man, that's a, that's a good family. So loving, so gentle with her. But Kelly saw him walking by and so she's like, what can I give? Now, I got to tell you, anytime somebody actually does what you ask them to do, it's like preacher win, right? I mean, that's just, that, that's, a, that's a God win right there. But she was thinking to herself, what can I give her? Oh, oh, I know, I've got peaches. She had just bought a box of peaches. And she had all these peaches and she knew she couldn't eat them all. So she went and she put the peaches in a bag and she went out and she started chasing this old lady and her son, uh, grandson down the road. I mean, just, just picture this in your mind. Picture this in your mind, right? And these peaches are in a bag swinging and everything. She gets over and now she's like, okay, now what? Uh, I have peaches, right? She was looking for an opportunity, right? So last week I said, see people, look for an op, or, or, and ask yourself the question, how can I, what can I give them? But here's, a, here's, the, today's, or the, here's the assignment today, okay? Because it has to do with what we said then. Today, I'm asking you to think to yourself, how can I make the name of Jesus known? How can I make the name of Jesus known? And I wanna to say to you, we have opportunities that never end to make the name of Jesus known. And it really shouldn't be a scary thing to us. We should wake up with the thought, well, let me say it this way. My prayer is that we would wake up with the thought, Lord, how can today I make the name of Jesus known? At the end, I'm gonna give you some examples, but that is what Peter and John were thinking. How can I make the name of Jesus known? And so they looked at the crowd, and because the crowd was astonished, in verse 11, 
Peter saw this and then he said to them, men of Israel, he asked two questions. Why are you surprised? And then why do you stare at us as if it were by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? Okay, very important here. He looked at the crowd and he said, men of Israel. This is important because it tells us that Peter and John knew who they were speaking to. You don't speak to a five-year-old about Jesus the same way you'll speak to a 35-year-old. You don't speak to a teenager the same way you would speak to a law enforcement officer. Why? Because they come from different places in life. I think what Peter and John understood was that even though the gospel doesn't change, the conversation about the gospel does change. So you are approaching people with their starting point. Where are they starting? And the best way to do that is to take wherever you are and whatever conversation or situation you're in and look for an opportunity to bring, you don't look for an opportunity to put the gospel there. You look for an opportunity to draw the gospel out of it because the gospel's already there, right? I said I was going to do this later. Let me just do it now. Take, for instance, you are having a birthday party, okay? You're finally turning 35. Oh, those were the days. You're finally, hey, Kevin, you remember 35? That was like 15 years ago, wasn't it? I just wanted to bring that out. Just wanted to point that out, you know, make sure we're just lovingly. What's it like to be 50? I don't, I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this, is this? It's your birthday party, okay? And you've got people that are there. Now, some of, your, some of them there are your church people, church friends, right? But you've also invited maybe a neighbor. Or maybe you've invited some people from work. Here's what you do. You're all having this party. They've come. They've eaten. You're about to have cake. And it's time for your thankful speech, right? You want to say to them, hey, guys, thank you so much for coming to my party. I really appreciate it. God has given you an opportunity to bring the gospel out of that situation. Here's how you do it. Just, Just simple. Hey, guys, thank you so much for coming to my party. Man, the fact that you're here means that you care about me or you just want a free cake. But either way, I'm really glad that you showed up. You know what? Friends are so important, and I consider you very good friends. But I want to tell you that I haven't always been a good friend. In fact, I used to be a person that you probably wouldn't want to hang out with. If you've known me long enough, you've known that I used to be in a place of my life that was very dark, very broken, But can I just tell you that I'm so thankful today to be the age that I am because God has changed me. God has made me into a person who now loves people. And even though I'm not perfect, right now I'm just, I'm trying to be obedient to the God who rescued me from who I used to be. Now, how many people at your party do you think are going to say, oh my gosh, he's not getting religious on me? I mean, what, in, in what about what I just said was offensive? What about what I just said was, was combative? Nothing. In the fact, the fact that they're there for your party means that they care about you, so your testimony of what happened will be heard. Here's another one. You're at PTA meeting, okay? 
And after the meeting, you start talking with one of the ladies that's there, and, and the lady's telling you, man, this whole PTA thing is crazy now. I mean, we can't, we can't go to school without wearing certain things, and I'm just, man, I'm, my life is just crazy. You can bring the gospel out of that conversation. You can say, you know what? My life is crazy too. Sometimes I wake up and I wonder what in the world is going on with this world. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that Jesus Christ really does have the answer to all of the craziness. In fact, I found in my own life that by trusting him, life, even though it's crazy, has some, some peace to it. God has just given you an opportunity in, after a PTA meeting to bring the gospel out of that conversation. Now, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Be like Peter and John. You don't have to necessarily create gospel conversations, although I recommend that you learn the skill of doing that. What, you, what we really just need to do is be aware of when we can bring the gospel out of the conversation. That said, a square peg does not fit in a round hole. So don't force it. Now, I like to be a mechanic and I like to, to, to fix things, but you know what I've discovered when I try to put square pegs in round holes? I break the hole and the peg. So don't do that. Don't be a Jeff. Round hole, round peg, make it work. Square hole, square peg, it'll work. Square hole, round peg, don't worry about it. God has not opened that conversation. Peter and John, y'all with me here? So Peter and John, they, they begin to speak to the crowd. Men of Israel, they knew their crowd. They asked two questions. Why does this surprise you? And why do you think that we're the ones that had anything to do with his healing? Why are we surprised when God does something great? You ever think about that? We pray for something, God answers our prayers, and we're like, oh my gosh, God answered my prayer. It's almost like God's up there going, uh, what'd you think I would do? Didn't I say, if you ask anything in my name, it will be given to you? I mean, isn't that kind of the deal? Isn't that what, what I promised? Why are we surprised when somebody who's lame now walks? If anybody should be not surprised, it should be us. Why? Because we know who Jesus is. We know who he's proclaimed himself to be. And so the crowd was surprised, but we shouldn't be surprised. We should look at it and go, ah, that's God. That's God again. I think one of the things that, that is coming out of this pandemic is God is teaching us to have great faith. I think just like Kevin said, we are, we are being taught that the things that we have depended upon aren't so dependable, but the word of God and the name of Jesus is rock solid. It always has been and it always will be. He said, why are you surprised? And then the second thing, why do you think that it's by our own strength and our own power that this has happened? The danger for us is when God starts to move for us to slip in front of the camera, right? The danger is for us to move out in front and go, see, see? Oh, God did it, but give me the praise for it, right? Preachers are really bad about this, by the way. They're really, really bad about it. But really, humans are bad about it. We want to steal God's glory. Something I learned, and I, and I hope that I'll never forget, is that God never shares his glory with any, any man. The, the best way for you to be brought low is for you to try to step in and steal God's glory. That is never a good, a good thing. 
But Peter and John said, it's not us, it's him. It's like the great breakup letter. It's not you, it's me, right? But it's backwards. Peter and John are going, look, it's not, it's not us, it's him. And what they were saying was this, my name means nothing. But there is a name that is above every other name. There is a name that is more powerful than any other name given to men. It's the name of Jesus. Now let's talk about this a minute. Because remember, Peter and John, when they looked at the layman, they said, silver and gold we don't have. We pope. But what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. It was calling on the power of the name, the name of Jesus. Now, the name of Jesus is used 800 or so times in the Gospels or in, in the Scripture. That is the most common name for Jesus. But do you know that Jesus has over 200 names as revealed in Scripture, both Old and New Testament? Over 200 names. All of those names point to the one name. Now, the name of Jesus, the name that was given to Jesus was given by God's own uh, declaration, right? In Matthew, I believe it's chapter one, uh, God says to Joseph, you're gonna give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The name, of Je the name Jesus is the Greek name or the Greek version, if you will, of the Jewish name, what? Joshua. Joshua means the Lord saves. So here, God says to, to, to Joseph, Jesus, earthly father, you will name your son Joshua, Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins, or save his people from their sins. He will be the salvation, the savior. Now, to be savior means you have to be qualified, right? Those other 200 names describe the qualifications of Jesus. Let me share, I wrote a few of them down, ready? Um, over 200 different names. Here's just a few of them. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. What's the Alpha and the Omega? Well, in, on the Greek alphabet, Alpha is the beginning of the alphabet. It's our A. And Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. It would be our Z, right? So Jesus is from A to Z and everything in between. That's what God has said his son's name is. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Bible says that one of the names for Jesus, Ephesians 1, 6, is he's beloved. He's my beloved. God calls him my beloved. He's also the bread of life. He's the living water. What do we need to survive? We need bread and water. He is the bread of all life. He's the fountain of living water. Um, he also is known, one of his names, he's the bright and morning star. I love that one. He is the firstborn from the dead. That refers to his resurrection. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that means that he has all authority, he has all power, he has the place and the position 
of being, uh, being the son of God, right? He is the holy one. He is, <laughs> he's the holy one, right? He's Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. He is the word. He is the word made flesh. He is the lamb. He's the lamb of God. He is the light of the world. Now, listen to these declarations. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's the light, not just a light, but the light of the entire world. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's a whole lot of history you'd have to go into for that one. But believe me, that's a powerful name. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord. He is the Lord of lords. He is king. He is what? King of all kings. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the man of sorrows. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He's the righteous judge. He's the root of David. He's the savior. He's the servant. He's the shepherd. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the word of God. And that's not even a fourth of the names of Jesus. So when Peter and John said, what I do have you, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. He was saying, all of these 200 plus names describe who this Jesus is and all of that authority is right here in your feet. Stand up and walk. You know, I was in high school. I was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee on a chorus trip. Remember chorus trips? See, you don't even know what a chorus is anymore, do you? Yeah, I was, I was in the chorus. You, you want to talk about cool. You're not cool until you're in the chorus, let me tell you. Uh, I lettered in chorus. <laughs> I was in a group called Les Chanteurs. It's French for the singers. Yeah, that impresses you, doesn't it? It impressed everybody in my school, believe me. I even made a jacket that said along the back, Les Chanteurs. Nobody cared. Nobody at all, except for me and my peeps of 12. So we were on this chorus trip, and... Uh, Oh, there's so many funny stories I could tell you. I'll tell you one, just, just because. So, my chorus teacher and I were actually very good friends. We're still friends to this day. And uh, she, she played at our wedding, Shannon and I's wedding. She drove to Georgia. She was the organist for the, for the wedding. But I think I, I think I cemented a place in her heart. Because... In the eighth grade, they would have a, uh, you know, the eighth graders would go to the high school and they would do this, they would walk around and see what high school's going to be like and they could decide what they're gonna do for their classes. Well, um, I was in ninth grade and it was that time of year. The eighth graders were supposed to be coming up. And so Miss Gibson said, okay, I need you guys to loosen it up a little bit, right? Because we were gonna sing for the eighth graders. She goes, I want you to, like, you know, do something crazy, right? And we were doing the song La Bamba. Pa la 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 bamba, right? Uh, it's the only Spanish I know. Um, 
when, I, when she said do something crazy, what I heard was do a somersault flip off the risers and start breakdancing. Now apparently, that's not what she meant. But that's what I did. And so if you can picture, we're, we're trying to get people in the chorus, the really cool club. And I'm on the back row too. So I divide, the, I divide all four rows and I do a somersault flip off of the risers and start breakdancing to La Bamba. Not a good idea. But I'm not going to show you. But here's what's funny. Still to this day, that is, that is what we go back and we talk about as a fond memory, as a good memory. And, and I really did have a point for telling you that, oh yeah, um, just, just the fact, I actually have no idea now. Yeah, so we were in Gatlin. Thank you. That was a long way around. My bad. Thank you for indulging me. So we were at a chorus trip in Gatlinburg, and, and I really believe that Jesus' name was so powerful. I really believe that the na- at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That's what the scripture says. So I actually went and I found an airbrush place. The only souvenir I bought on that trip was a license plate that was black and green. And I wanted these words, Jesus, just speak his name. Because the name of Jesus is the most powerful, the most precious the most beautiful name that has ever been uttered out of a man or a woman's mouth. And do you realize you have that name hidden inside of your heart if you're a follower of Jesus? When Peter and John looked at this crowd, they said, why are you amazed? Why are you surprised? Why do you think that we had anything to do with this? No, it was the powerful name of Jesus that has done this great miracle. I'm saying to you that that same power you and I can can express in everyday ordinary situations if we will simply have the mind to do it, have the attention to do it. He begins then, after asking the two questions, to really get into the meat of his message. And here's, here's what I think is a good model for us. He says, men of Israel, excuse me, verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He was going back into their history saying, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, for them to hear that would cause them to listen up. It doesn't mean all that much to us because we don't have forefathers that we revere and respect this way. But for a Jewish man, hearing the God of our fathers, their entire life was built upon Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Their entire life, everything that they did, everything that they were, was built on these founding fathers, with these, the, the, these, uh, these men. And so Peter says, your beginning... In this mess, he's saying, your beginning, in your beginning, was this name of Jesus. What God was doing in Abraham, he completed 
in Jesus. What God was doing in Isaac, he completed in Jesus. We don't have time for today to do it. But if you go back and you look at the stories in the Old Testament of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you can see how all of those stories point towards Jesus. It's unbelievable. There's such a perfect thin red line all throughout Scripture that ties it all together that God has always had a plan. He says, your, your forefathers, um, God glorified his servant Jesus and you handed him over to be killed and disowned before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. He begins to challenge their own heart. I said this a few weeks ago, and I want to remind us today that, that the gospel is good news, but in the midst of the good news, there's bad news. I think we should become more comfortable with speaking truth that is painful or difficult. We should never speak truth in an unkind or in a selfish or in an arrogant way, but we should always speak truth when truth is warranted. Sometimes just letting somebody go is not loving them. Sometimes there needs to be confrontation of, this is what God has said. Now I know that we struggle with that because we don't want somebody to write us off or disown us, but at the same time, it's true that we will shoot the messenger, but the messenger is the one who actually gives life. And so in the gospel, there's bad news. The bad news is your sin condemns you. Your sin separates you from God. We have a world that believes that everything is okay, although they know everything is not okay. We have a world that thinks that all roads lead to God, but all roads do not lead to God. It's like that, that mousetrap where only one road leads to the cheese. I just made the gospel cheese, I'm sorry. But it, 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 it's, what, it's what's happening. If, if there were three ways to go, and yet two of those ways lead to a dead end, why would we not say to somebody, don't go that way, it's dangerous. Don't go that way, it's death. Go this way. Now listen to what I'm saying, not what, what you're hearing. I'm not saying that you are the Holy Spirit. You aren't the one who condemns, you aren't the one who judges, you aren't the one who points out sin, but you are the one who tries to bring truth in the midst of the conversation. And when somebody says, hey, it's okay, sometimes that's our cue to say, well, you know what, God says it's not. There's no easy way to do that. But the Bible says that Jesus said, it's not the well who need a physician, it's the sick. Right? How can you be saved if you don't know you're lost? How can you find hope if you don't know that you're hopeless? How can you be healed if you don't know you're sick? What I'm saying is, we cannot present the gospel without talking about repentance. We can't present the gospel without talking about sin and separation and condemnation and things like hell. So many times we want to alleviate all of the, the, the struggle and all of the uncomfortableness and only talk about the love of God and the goodness of God. Well, how can we talk about that unless there's a recognition of what actually is happening on the other side? And again, you'll have to, have to massage that a little bit because you don't want to be offensive for the sake of being offensive, but you also have to recognize that sometimes truth is offensive. I've actually found in sermons when I've come across what I think is too hard, more, more than times than not, people say, man, thanks for, thanks for stepping on my toes. 
And I'm like, you wanted that? Yeah, because that's what I needed. So Peter and John, they said, look, you crucified this, this man. You handed him over to Pilate. Pilate knew that he was innocent, and yet he decided to let him go. And then listen to verse 14 and 15. This is great. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked a murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Okay, holy and righteous one. This would have been a clue to the people that uh, this, was, this was someone who was set apart, someone who is different, someone who is placed in a high position. So Peter was saying, you killed the holy and righteous one. Right? He also said, but... Uh, and, and, and you also ask for a murderer to be released. So the holy and righteous one you sent to the death chamber, but you said this one who is a murderer can go free. The next verse is even more stunning. It says the originator of life, the author of life you killed. Think about this. If you were the enemy and you wanted to destroy the creation of God, what would you do? You would kill the author of life so that nobody else would have life. It would be like me being on a ventilator, reaching over and pulling the plug. I'm killing myself by removing the very thing that is keeping me alive. And that's exactly what's happening in our families and our culture today. We are pushing Jesus so far out of the picture because we, we don't want any of that Jesus stuff and yet by doing that, we are literally cutting off our very supply of life. And notice that Peter is very bold in saying, Jesus is the answer. The one you killed is the answer. And I find it particularly marvelous that Jesus said, or that, that Peter said, you killed the author of life, the originator of life, the foundation of life, but God. Now, trying to think of a way to, 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 to put this in our minds, and the only thing that really stood out was, well, the two things that stood out. One was a, an old joke by Louis Grizzard. I won't go there, because most of you don't have any idea who Louis Grizzard was. But if you want to know, it's the old joke. Well, if you're going to sit up, I'm going to go on to bed, right? Go look it up. Apparently, y'all haven't listened to as much Louis Grizzard as I have. Um, but here's the illustration. If you have a three-year-old, every now and then that three-year-old does not want to stay in bed, right? Every now and then, that, every, every now and then that, that three-year-old named Sarah has an excuse of, oh, I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? And so here's what happens. You put Sarah or the three-year-old in bed. Good night, don't get out of bed. As soon as you walk out the door, she's like right there. I gotta go to the bathroom. You've already gone. Go to bed. As soon as you're out the door, I'm hungry. You put her back in bed. She's right out the door. I'm thirsty. Put her in bed. I'm scared. Put her in bed. I'm cold, right? You, have you had a little one that's done this? When I think of that, it's like it's impossible to keep a good three-year-old down, right? With Jesus, no matter what the enemy did, he was not going to stay down. He busted out of the grave. That is the Jesus that you and I proclaim. That is the Jesus that is on our lips. So as we kind of wrap this up, 
He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. In other words, God has changed us. We've seen it in our life, and now we want to share it with you. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. I hope I've convinced you this morning to just speak the name. And let me remind you, you can speak any other name and it will be totally acceptable. But once you start speaking the name of Jesus, the demons start to shake starts to tremble because there's power in the name of Jesus. There is no power in the name Hare Krishna. There is no power in the name of Muhammad. There is no power in the name of psychological babble. There's no power in the name of self-help and self-will. But the moment you speak the name of Jesus, the power of the everlasting God is drawn upon. Because the name of Jesus is the Word made flesh. Listen to some of the things that happen because of the name of Jesus or in or through the name of Jesus. I wrote them down as well. In the name of Jesus, we are adopted as God's children. Now, adoption is a big deal. If you're born into a family, they don't have any choice, right? They gotta love you. Because like, you're there. Now, they don't always love you as a child, but, but, but they, for the most part, if you're born, then you're flesh and blood, right? To be adopted is a big deal. Because to be adopted means I want you. I choose you to be in my family. I open up my doors. I bring you in as a son or as a daughter. It is a decisive, uh, a purposeful decision to give you your father's name. In the name of Jesus, we are adopted as sons. In the name of Jesus, we find salvation. Acts 4.12, there's no other name by which we must be saved. There's salvation only found through Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins. The scripture talks about our sin being blotted out, being wiped away. Uh, Peter's preaches on this the next couple of verses but to be wiped away is the picture of of spilling ink on a on a page and that ink stains and that ink is penetrating the fibers of the page and yet somehow God takes and wipes it away and makes it whiter than snow completely clean completely unblemished you because of the name of Jesus because of faith in Jesus Christ are un blemished you have been given the righteousness of Christ that is awesome because of the name of Jesus you have been given the Holy Spirit it's God inside of you giving you wisdom direction courage conviction Discipline, all those things that he gives. The, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of that comes because of the name of Jesus. In you, because of the name of Jesus, you have answered prayer. 
in John chapter 14, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you when you ask according to my will, right? That's powerful. You can call upon the ear of the holy God because you go through a mediator, Christ Jesus. Because of the name of Jesus, you, um, 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 you have... Uh, a, a name that is all authoritative in that every knee will bow. Picture this in your mind. Stay with me here. At the name of Jesus, one day, every dictator will bend a knee. Every king will bend a knee. Every president will bend a knee. Every businessman will bend a knee. Every athlete will bend a knee. One day, every knee will bow. And one day, every tongue, every, every tongue that has ever lived, every tongue will confess, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. In the name of Jesus, We are to do everything. Colossians 3.17 tells us this, that whether in word or deed, we're to do everything in his name. And we do everything in his name so that his name will be glorified. We also know that those who call on his name are to turn away from sin. See, for a believer to willingly engage in sin is to be defaming the very name that we wear on our back. I said a whole lot this morning, but I hope that you really have heard one thing. There's power in the name. Oh, there's power in the name. Will you just close your eyes for a moment? I want you to do something with me, if you will. I just want you to say the name Jesus and just listen to it. It's, it's a name that is sweeter than honey. It's a name that will calm the greatest fear. It's the name that causes the demons to tremble. It's the name that commands such power that it cannot even be described with every word in our vocabulary. From A to Z, Jesus is. In this place today, if you've never trusted in that mighty name, if you're watching by Facebook and you've never trusted in the name of Jesus, I want to invite you to do that now. I want you to find the forgiveness for your sin that only Christ Jesus offers. I want you to find the hope that only Jesus can promise. Father in heaven, we ask you today, let your mighty name be implanted in our hearts and in our minds to where we want nothing more than for the name of Jesus to be glorified. Father, inspire us, move us, use us. Jesus.